This is Triple H 100.1 FM with Ian Stewart. Good afternoon and welcome to Rotary Matters. Today we're going to continue our exploration of Rotary, what it is, the good work that it does and how Rotarians and non-Rotarians can get involved. We call the programme Rotary Matters because, as you'll find out over the next hour, Rotary impacts many lives, many causes and many concerns locally and all over the world. Today's main story concerns the work of two extraordinary women, both from the North Shore here in Sydney, who founded the Possibility Project, an initiative which empowers people in disadvantaged communities to realise their potential in a most creative way. More on that soon, but let me just give you a quick refresher in case this is the first time you're listening to Rotary Matters. I want to tell you a few words about Rotary. It's a worldwide organisation set up over 100 years ago to promote the idea of service as a basis of worthy enterprise. Around the world, there are 1.2 million members, 35,000 Rotary Clubs in 220 countries, so it's relatively large. Here in Australia, we've got 30,000 Rotarians, 1,100 clubs and another 270 over in New Zealand. Here in the Triple H catchment area, we have 10 Rotary Clubs, though as our signal goes beyond Hornsby and Coringai, this number is certainly higher. Most clubs meet once a week and they donate their time to a range of very worthy local, regional and international community service projects. So you're going to find Rotarians fighting disease, providing clean water, sanitation and hygiene, saving mothers and children, supporting education, growing local economies and promoting peace. Now, a really interesting internationally focused activity is the Possibility Project, founded by Kim Pierce and Kath Davis, who are here this afternoon with us in the studio. It's a truly inspirational story about their success in giving communities in India the tools, the skills and the motivation to transform their lives through the concept of social entrepreneurship. You'll hear from them shortly, but first... and I'm. Welcome back to Rotary Matters. It's Ian Stewart here. We're talking now with Kim Pierce and Kath Davis about the Possibility Project. Um, and I also have with me in the studio uh, uh, Peter Crawley, my colleague from Taramara Rotary Club. Afternoon, Ian. Uh, thanks for coming in, Peter. Peter will help me with some of the questions. Um, so we have sitting here, we have Kath Davis. Hello, Ian. And Kim Pierce. Hi. And if you listened to this program about a year ago, you'd have met them then too, because we were learning at that stage about some of the terrific work they're doing around the Possibility Project. But there's much more to it now, which I want to cover a little later in the program. So let's begin, ladies. Where did the idea begin for the Possibility Project? Well, the idea began over a cup of tea. A cup of tea, yes. Um, (laughs) As a couple of school mums um, when we met at Warawee Public School and I was doing a little bit of work with a community in India, in Jaipur, and Kathy's a fashion designer and milliner and um, we just wanted to do something. So we weren't sure what that was, but it is the Possibility Project now. So you said Jaipur. Uh, Tell Mm. us, where is Jaipur? Well, Jaipur is in India. Um, it's in Rajasthan, so it's known as the Pink City. So that's in the north? Yeah. Yes. North of India? That's right. It's actually really um, well known for artisanal work, but because it is artisanal work, um, it's also a space where there's a lot of child labour. Right. And that's where we come in to collaborate with a charity in Jaipur to help some of the, to help um, bring solutions to those difficult situations. So there was already. A charity working over there, which was called I India. I India. Yeah. Okay. So you collaborated with them. Yeah. And what what did you do first? Well, I India is an existing NGO. When we met them, they'd been running for about twenty three years. Um, they get 
kids off the streets and offer them education, food, medical attention. Um, and when we met them, they were growing their vocational training centres. So that's where we saw we saw a need, and we were able to step in and help them to um, establish some skills in sewing, uh, jewellery making, beading that sort of work. So were they already receiving um, financial assistance from other countries? Yes, they were they actually. They were quite well yes. established. Mm. Yeah, they were very well established, but the vocational training part of this charity was new. So that's where we, we saw a need and we were able to start working with them. So, Kath, you brought your skills. I think Kim mentioned at the beginning that you had a background in yeah, fashion in design fashion, yes. and, and, and millinery too. I did. I trained as a milliner in London. Really? Um, and yeah, fashion has always been a love and fabrics especially. So going to India was such a treat. So um, when you got the there, silks. you found that there was a lot of material that wasn't being uh, used properly. It was just being discarded. Is that right? Um, look, India is an amazing place for being resourceful. Nothing is really wasted. Um, we just had the we, when we started we we started from zero budget so we were looking at the most economical way to to turn this into a business and so the upcycled saris were kind of our cheapest option so uh, upcycled saris that's <laughs> right so you know the beautiful indian women dignified and lovely in their saris well a big business is door knocking to buy secondhand saris so we met an amazing businessman who we still work with today beautiful race and he supplies us with with the saris that we use and it's such a gift because he allows us to look through these bundles of 100 saris ordinarily you just have to buy 100 saris you don't know what quality you're getting or what sort of condition they're in but we can choose them one by one which has been a real gift for us uh, are these new saris they're secondhand, second-hand. They're second-hand. Mm. and the quality is generally very good or it's uh, very bad and very, very, bad, very, very, <laughs> very stained and so yes. they're, you, they're taken then to the i india um facility that's right and then yep. You provide... A and pa- then we give advice on, on what shapes to make out of what saris. Mm. So we, we, we have a little label. It's called Slumware. It comes under the Possibility Project umbrella, Slumware 108. Um, we started with a pair of beads and now it's grown into a range. Um, now you've got a website. We um, do. And uh, on there, there are images, aren't there, of yes. some of the products That's that right. in the Slumware range. Yes. Uh, it's gone beyond beads, though. <laughs> Very T- much. Tell us, Kim, what else is there? Well, over the journey, which has been now about six years, we've met an enormous amount of people who've helped us to grow um, our products. And so we not only work with India and vocational training, um, we also work with this beautiful group of Muslim brothers who have their... Uh, they have sewing machines and people working there and it's a little bit more professional it's not vocational training um, because we also needed to ensure as we grew our products weren't just products that were um, being made through vocational training you know we, we have a fantastic customer base now and um, so these these men really helped us to grow more um, sophisticated shapes dresses skirts tops and so where are they located Jaipur and still in Jaipur yeah it's all it's all we we just have met people through um, serendipity. Uh, you know, we'd go here and we'd go there and people would just come and, and look at what we're doing. 
and um, offer their help. Can, can I go back to these uh, second-hand saris? Yeah. Do you, when you send them off, do you, do you resize them? Do you remake them? Yeah. What, what do you actually Absolutely. do? you clean them up? What do you actually do to them? So a sari is five to six metres of fabric and it can be all manner of uh, silks, cottons. We never really know exactly what we're buying, but we hope to be buying silks. Um, they are laundered and then... They're, they're turned into shape. So we have patterns, digital patterns that we take to India and then the saris are formed into these beautiful new shapes and dresses and jackets. What I'm concerned is how do you scale this? I mean, do, do you mm. have to specifically do this for every single piece of material? Yes. Mm. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> no, not really because Kath and I focus... Uh, it's called slow fashion. So we don't uh, wish to actually sell a lot of fashion. What we hope to do is scale the mindset that we've brought to our um, project. And that is for ordinary people, if they decide they want to do something, um, we work with a few attitudes that we've been open to. And when we do, we do a lot of talks back here in schools and in corporations and at public events. And we talk about attitudes that we have used to get things off the ground. And that's actually the part of our business that we wish to scale. Right, but doing this refixing of the, yeah. the saris, yeah. does that turn a second-hand sari into mm. a very expensive sari? No, not necessarily. It's very affordable, like one of our it's dresses. It's valuable. Mm. It's valuable. Um, so it, one of our dresses might be about $135 for a dress. And, um, but, but the main thing is that people, we spend a lot of time educating people about the story of that dress, how it's made, who's made it, what goes into it, which is in direct contrast to fast fashion. So when it's bought, uh, does the label actually indicate where it came from and who was involved yes, in the yes, selling? Yes. And we spend a lot of time using Instagram, um, a lot of time doing public speaking um, and explaining our, our setup. And, and we've, got, we've just had a one-month pop-up at Wurunga in a shop there called Grow Grain. And actually, we're going to have a permanent space there come August to sell our products. But people come in and they want to know more about the story. Um, people are waking up to the, you know, the disconnection that we've had with our products. And so we tell them the story and show them a range. And Kath's a fantastic stylist. So they, they understand why that garment costs that amount compared to buying, say, a, a $30 dress that they might use once or twice. Are you saving these saris? Um, what mm. would happen to them if you hadn't intervened in this process? Um, well, like I said before, the culture is very resor mm. resourceful. Nothing is ever wasted. So somebody would be using that sari in some form, whether yeah. it be a rag or they're turned into a rug or something. But um, the other thing is that they're stunning fabrics. Mm. You know, India is known for its fabrics, but what's also exciting as a designer and for our customer is that you get a one-off piece. So mm. a delivery arrives, we open it, nothing's the same. So mm. for, for discerning fashionistas they love that that you're getting a one-off piece how have you trained the people to do this um we haven't trained them i guess what we we do is we employ master tailors who show them but naturally they're real they're just artisans mm. you know they don't necessarily have a great eye because it's very different the eastern look to the west and that's something we've had to tweak but 
they're really they're they're clever, clever, yeah, incredibly clever artisans. Even um, with our first product, which is a really simple pair of beads, the first run of them, they had um, sort of tied the beads up a little bit, but we found that they were coming undone, and so rather than um, think oh poor them they you know former street kids we can't say anything we actually all work in this space of no how do we improve and so they came up with the solution to knot them instead of string them oh. and um and that's part of what we believe is empowerment we're not there to tell them what to do but we we work together we collaborate and often more often than not they come up with the solution it's uh, Triple H one hundred point one FM uh, this afternoon on Rotary Matters. My name's Ian Stewart. We're listening to um, Kim Davis and Kath Pierce. Also helping me is Peter Crawley. Um, we'll learn a bit more about their brand, about the impact, the concept of social entrepreneurship in a few moments. But for- welcome back to Rotary Matters. Ian Stewart here um, with us in the studio this afternoon. Kim Pierce and Kath Davis. The term that you use mm. to describe the work that you're doing. Um, social entrepreneurship, restorative justice. Can you Mm -hmm. flesh it out a bit for us? Sure. Well, social entrepreneurship, it's it's a relatively new concept, but what it is, it's about enterprise for purpose and for shared value. So you're doing something to create win-wins. It's not simply about money. It's not about a bottom line that's based on profit and loss. Um, And so for us, we've set up a business where there are win-wins. We are sharing our skills and leveraging that and so we're able to cover all of our costs and then they're also being paid a a beautifully dignified wage um, and a lot of other gains for international exposure for their skills and um, and craftsmanship. So is this what you mean then by restorative justice? Well restorative justice we used to use the term social justice especially when I was teaching you'd have social justice clubs but we came to learn a bit more about this term restorative justice and it's very much a part of indigenous cultures and when they are looking at a wrong in society they don't go to punish people they sit down to try and work out a solution where there is a win-win and that's based on the premise that you and I are connected so why would I put you in prison why would I make you feel guilty about your choice you know that is to restore what's already there and for us for Kath and I that's far more aligned to our mindset that when it comes to, say, for example, fast fashion and the impact of fast fashion, we don't set about our work making someone feel guilty about their choices because we don't believe that's going to create real change in the world. What we want is to create awareness so people make their own choice in how they wish to change their behaviour. And for, for us, that's restorative justice. I get it. I get it now. Thank you for that explanation. Um, just going back to slumware for one moment, mm. beyond the garments, the beads, mm. the accessories, you've got other products too under a, under a different brand, uh, the Sparrow Sanitation brand. Do you want to just um, explain that to us? Yeah, sure. Um, basically, we saw, we saw a need for sanitation and um, addressing the issues in India. So between us and a beautiful woman called Maureen Roach who was based in Singapore, we funded a sanitary pad machine um, that was run and 
it's not maybe running at the moment because the government, Indian government have stepped in actually and they've provided sanitary pads and things for women that are now affordable and that was never the case but that's been a part of the movement to clean up India which has been fabulous but the machine is there and ready to roll and and it creates um, compostable sanitary pads for the women and girls involved in in So what's the core ingredient? Is it a wood Wood pulp? Wood pulp, Mm, yeah. yeah. It's a wood pulp with a plastic coating but it, it breaks down, it's compostable and I can't remember how many they were making a day. I can't remember but... Again, being the win-win, they were able to save money from what they were spending Mm -hmm. on sanitary products for the the women and girls. And so this way they were able to make their own, um, cut costs, and if it can be scaled, because there's always a funding issue up there, then you can run it as an enterprise where they can on-sell it to people in the community. But where we work, it is the poorest of the poor. So it's not a... It's quite out in in a... Rural. rural area. Right. Um, okay, so um, uh, the other thing I want to ask you about is what you're doing back here in Australia, and you spend a lot of time in schools. Ricky Nelson there with Hello, Mary Lou. Goodbye, heart. Uh, back on uh, Rotary Matters, my name's Ian Stewart. We're talking with Kim Davis, Kath Pierce, and my colleague uh, Peter Crawley about the... Um, very creative possibility project um, that uh, has been developed Um, but it's not just taking place over there in India you've brought some of the thinking back into Australia where you came from but uh, you're now working in schools can you tell us a little bit about how it works in in schools? Yeah absolutely Um, I mean Kim's a former teacher and a brilliant teacher and um, it would be a waste if she wasn't in schools so that was something that we had to pursue Um, A lot of people ask us why we work in India and not here. And, um, you know, that was something that we started to then think about because we do have this pandemic of anxiety and depression amongst our um, youth. I have three children. Kim has four. We're talking our kids, our community, our families, our friends. And um, if we can help here, we absolutely wanted to do that. So we go in and we speak about the fast fashion and the impact that that's having on um, our on people and planet and then we connect that to well-being um, so yeah we do a number of different projects um, for example we were with Taramara High School recently and helped the leadership body um, facilitate clothing swap day but there was a lot of awareness around it as Had well. they previously done a clothing no, swap? it was the first time this there, the first time. which was really really exciting and so getting up in assembly to explain to the student body, even if you're if you don't want to partake in the swap encourage others to do so, you know part of restorative justice is this thing that we're all connected, even if it doesn't agree with you, this you know, you don't want to be part of it. Don't discourage others from doing good. Do, do you find people are sympathetic to the idea of, of problems of fast fashion? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you don't get any kickback of people who say, but I love it. Yeah, no, there's... Look, the War on Waste, the ABC series, was fantastic and instrumental in changing people's perceptions because what's happened is that we've become disconnected. And so when Craig dumped 6,000 kilograms of clothing in It was Martin a wonderful Place. picture, wasn't it? it when was he amazing. said, you know, how long is this taking? It was seven minutes or something. Exactly. Yes. Ten minutes. Mm. Um, every ten minutes that's mm. been 
taken to landfill. Now, once people are connected to the problem, they want to do something about it. It's it's very rare to find somebody who just just wants to keep it going. And if they do, that is fine. But the rest of us need to get in there and action what we believe in. It's yeah, understanding we, versus living it, isn't it? That's the yeah. challenge. It, uh, yeah, How, it how is. do you turn it into a, an actual behaviour? Mm. Um, yeah, well, I think that's where we link it to well-being because so much of our well-being is this prescriptive um, medical um, approach. And for Kath and I, the well-being that comes from doing something that you're agitated about or angry about or, or you see a problem will you know creating conditions where we can action change in those spaces it gives you a sense of well-being it's for Kath and I've experienced this firsthand I sometimes think the need to post a new purchase online leads to that sense of addiction that uh, comes from the need to purchase that's right and the the almost the sugar hit that you get from going to the cash register which dies off in a few seconds after you've left yeah and that that fantastic saying the opposite of addiction is not sobriety it's connection so our work is about connection and, and again, any Rotarian would know mm. the benefit, um, the well-being that comes from doing and, something for others. And, um, Kath, mental health and fashion, there's a higher incidence of mental health problems in the fashion industry than uh, outside of it, is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. I guess that that whole emphasis on how you look, it, it really does ah. impact how people see themselves. You know, it's a big part of our message. It's sort of about you you are enough. You know, it's not you don't need this externally. You don't need that latest piece of fashion, that latest handbag to feel good. You are enough without mm. um, all of the latest and greatest. But just also back to that war on waste, there's also an amazing worldwide movement called Fashion Revolution. And um, they're making a massive impact across the world um, at, a, at a grassroots level, but also they're really impacting um, or trying to impact big retailers and corporations as well. So, so who's leading that fashion revolution? A lot of individuals, mm. which is fantastic. And it's the same with the climate strikers. There's a lot of small groups or individuals who want to action change, but it's we now have the tools and the technology to bring people together who are doing it, you know, here and it's all around the world. It did come out of England, but it was born by one person, Carrie Summers, who witnessed the Rana Plaza disaster in Bangladesh about six years ago when that collapsed and she woke up and she this just... This was the clothing factory. Correct. A multi-storey, yes. badly made. That's right collapsed lots of workers yeah. passed away yeah yep. and so she just came up with a hashtag who made my clothes and she encouraged every person and, and that's what the movement's about ask yourself who made my clothes can you answer that question because we've become so distant from who makes them and how they're made and where they're made that um we purchase five dollar t-shirt without asking any of these questions and once we do um you might just find that and you find the answer that you will change your purchasing decision. It was interesting when that happened because there was a backlash against that cheap clothing coming out of Bangladesh. Mm. But then the workers from Bangladesh put uh, quite a lot into publicity to say, please don't stop buying our clothes. We need the jobs. Yeah. So there's this built dilemma on Absolutely. how the individual manages this problem uh, on, a, on a larger scale. Isn't Absolutely. It? There's no doubt that there's going to be pain 
in this in this process of change. That that is just um, a natural aspect of um, trying to engineer different jobs. But the manuf- does, sorry, sorry, does the pain end up going on to the poorest workers in these, these countries? Because I've seen people who've gone on fashion strikes yeah. and they won't buy any new clothing yeah. for 12 months. Yeah. And, you know, terrific. And they write very interesting blogs yeah. and emotionally what it means to them and how they've coped. Yeah. And it seems a very first world response to, to an yes. issue. And then you think, gee whiz, but uh, I wonder what the issue is it falls down to the workers in these yeah. factories who no longer have jobs and yeah. employment. Uh, it's Absolutely. Not easy. I think one of the things, Kath and I, though, are passionate about is changing a mindset that um, individuals can't action for change and the one thing that we often get is that not everyone can afford to buy this and we want to try and bust that myth because so many of us can afford to buy differently now and and that, we call it a poverty consciousness and so often in economics when I taught it it was you know the way to bust poverty is to really um, create employment and GDP and, and break that um, cycle um, the poverty cycle but the way we see it is that there's a poverty consciousness cycle that somehow we've written this script that we can't afford to change and we can and the more we put pressure on governments and corporations to help share the value um, and trickle down some of this value. Um, and also stimulate consumer demand. Yes, I mean, when I'm different buying, consumer demand. If I'm demand. buying a garment, if I'm yeah. able to read on the label a bit yeah. of its history, where it yeah. came from, the country, yeah. the factory even, yeah. it might inspire me yeah. to, to right. um, understand better yeah. and, and actually probably be willing to pay more mm. yeah. because I know that at the end of the day yeah. it's going to benefit somebody in a remote part of the world. And it will. You know, that's the thing. There is, there's no shortage of um, choice now for, for shared value, for companies that are doing incredibly great things in these countries. In Bangladesh, we sourced a T-shirt actually that is made in a factory there that is highly ethical and sustainable and uses um, sustainable cotton. It, they exist. And the other thing we want to bust the myth that, um, yeah, we work in India, but India's not a poor country either. You know, people go, oh, India's poor, it's got all these poor people. It's a bit like the Adani um, issue. They have, to, we have, they have to wake up as well, that there is corruption in those spaces where there is value, but it's not being shared. You know, if we keep saying everyone's poor, it's not true. You know, it's the most expensive house in the world is in India. <laughs> so it's time to bust this myth. <laughs> so, um, Kath and Kim, you've been on this journey now for how long? How many years? Oh, six, six, nearly six, seven. Six years. Now, if you were to start all over again, mm. knowing what <laughs> you know question. now, <laughs> anything you'd do differently? I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Okay. When I met Kath... She had this beautiful... I was a business and economics person, so I was enmeshed in a mindset of how to build a business, how to create an economy. Um, And Kath is all about service and all about being unconditional in our giving and unconditional in our doing. And sometimes we would do events and not ask for money to do it. Would I change that? Never. Mm -hmm. Because it, it has created this value that we want to share on our planet that not everything is about the bottom line and um, we've had the most beautiful sacred journey together Um, so no I wouldn't change a thing 
And if people want to find out more, there's two ideas. So one, they can go onto the Possibility Project website, which is possibilityproject.com.au. Yes. You mentioned you've got a, a retail uh, outlet in, yes, in Morongo. Yes, coming very, yeah, very coming soon. soon. Where? So there's a beautiful homeware store. People don't often know about, often know about it, but it's at Warunga, and it's sort of just between the car park and Red Leaf, and it's called Grow Grain. And Grow Grain. Grow Grain. Yeah. Like G-R-O-W. G-R-O-S. G-R-A-I-N, like oh, the French. French Grow Grain. <laughs> oh, nice. You got it? Oh, you got it? Near the chicken shop. <laughs> no. I wish we were running that, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when's uh, that going to we'll, be open? We will be there from oh, probably mid-August. August. Okay. Yeah, so, so come and visit us there. And we're also on Instagram. Mm. Okay. So our Instagram handle is slumware108. I'd recommend, if you haven't already had a look, do go onto the website because there are Im- images there of some beautiful, beautiful garments. My question is, <laughs> when are you going to do stuff for men? It's coming, Ian. Yes. <laughs> It's slow clothing. Slow so be, <laughs> be patient. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be back, we'll be back with um, Kath and Kim and Peter in just a moment. Welcome back to um, Rotary Matters. It's Ian Stewart. It's Friday afternoon. Coming up at four o'clock this afternoon, we will have uh, Street Beat with our friends Neil and Justine. In the meantime, we're still with um, Kim Davis and Kath Pierce uh, discussing the Possibility Project and what it has led to. Um, wonderful website uh, with images of their of their work. New shop opening in September. In September, built on the back of the pop up that's been going successfully uh, just recently. Um, just going back to India. I mean, y- you must do an awful travel, you two. Mm-hmm. So how do you manage to juggle? Yeah, I mean, I know you've got <laughs> between you seven teenage yeah. children. Oh gosh, aren't yes. we lucky? Uh, aren't you lucky? <laughs> so yeah. how can you sort of reconcile all the sort of tugs on your time? with the need to um, have a presence over there in, in Jaipur? Ah, we balance it really well. I think women have the ability to do that, actually. Um, and we make it work. Priority is always our kids. So mm. we've been, we have missed a few birthdays and the kids, I think, have forgiven us. Because they, they, <laughs> they all love what we do. Are, are they in the business? Um, they all get roped into it. They all get roped into it. Absolutely. We're against child labour in India. <laughs> not here. Not at home. It's called building resilience here, Correct. isn't it? Correct. Yes. Correct. But they are, um, like, we do quite a bit of work with Lifeline Australia. And um, so we've helped, we've collaborated and done a fashion show with them. And we work with Lifeline at Military Road. And we do a few... Um, fashion evenings with them and the children always get involved in either modeling or doing the social media um getting their friends involved and they're always the best nights ever so this is in the in a a lifeline retail premises okay you put on like a fashion show yeah because the work of lifeline is so aligned to our work especially in this space of mental wellness and mental health um and so yeah we you know just the we we don't even have to ask our kids. They ask us when is the next event um, and they just jump on board and offer all of their great services, especially when it comes to social media. They know how to use it really well. So they love it. But you've done, you've done so much. We, you, yeah, we have. You started off with this idea. Yeah. You brought it to, brought it to fruition. Yeah. You expanded the range of products. Yeah. You've got the online. You've got the retail. Yeah. You're now going into schools yes. with a program to teach the idea of restorative justice. Yeah. Um, working with in the mental health space with, yeah. on behalf of people like Lifeline, what's next? Wow, you make us sound so good. 
<laughs> I guess we don't sort of ever look at it. That's right. Like it, the way you've just described it. And yeah, wow, we've, we've done really well, but our intention never shifts. And it's mm. a bit like Rotary and what Kim was saying. It, our intention is to help. And so we always feel really supported by our children is a great example, by our extended family, by our friends. Then people come on board like Lifeline. Um, we did an amazing runway show earlier in the year down at the Waverton Coal Loader. And we had professional models. We had professional hairdressers. We had makeup. Wearing your garments. Yeah. Wearing our garments. Yes. Wearing Lifeline. Wearing other amazing Australian designers. The Coal Loader is an, a magnificent space. If you've, you haven't been there, it's definitely worth a visit. Mm. But that was given to us as, a, as the catwalk. Now that space is $20,000 to hire, but it was gifted to us. These are the kind of opportunities that we're granted Come. because we continue to want to help. And, and when we first met 12 months ago, you'd just come back off a plane from New York. Yeah. Um, where, where I think you had been, you'd been on a runway, uh, uh, sorry. Is that, we, yeah, we were supporting a, um, a beautiful Australian design, a label over there. We were yeah. helping with their launch, a media launch. Yeah, we were doing mending with them, yeah. which is something that continues to grow as well. So we go in, Knox, for example, we did a beautiful term with them that last, last year, last year. and we went in and we did mending with these beautiful 11 year old boys and you're teaching they're, they're, mending. school uniforms or what are we talking there about was anything anything their undies oh, right. we their taught pajamas. them to mend and then they um set up a waste-free afternoon tea mending cafe invited their families their family in, in and showed them how to mend and it was challenging yeah. because these kids are so amazing at so much but they really struggled to mm. thread their needle tie and L- listeners you need to know that peter crawley who's with us this <laughs> afternoon is a former principal of knox his jaw is dropping because i don't think he contemplated i'm impressed, Ian, I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. i don't think he contemplated anything like this back in his day no that's that's the change you know mm. and it does require Kath and I to have this sense of um, we can do this you know we have been in spaces where we don't love preaching to the converted it's about teaching the diverted you teaching know? the diverted right yeah and so it, it, there, some of this is un, unknown territory it hasn't been done before but that's where social change is really going to happen okay so, so you kind of rolled with the punches a bit and yeah. t- taken the opportunities as they've sort of come in your come your yeah. way I'm convinced that more good work will come from Kath and from Kim uh, in, in the years to come. And I thank you both very much for coming to studio this afternoon. Thank you. Updating us on the Possibility Project, the Slumware, the Sparrow Sanitation, the work you're doing in schools and the support you're giving in the, in the mental health area too. So wishing you every success and congratulations. I was introduced um, 12 months ago to Kath and Kim by Janelle Spate, who I must mm. acknowledge, from Warunga Rotary Club. And so thank you, Janelle, if you happen to be listening. Um, and um, we'll uh, look forward to catching... Uh, I'd love you to come back next Absolutely. year and update us with uh, any developments. It's a um, date. 